keep building out. You keep working hard. I know it's tough. I know running two, three jobs, it's, it's hard. We have kids, we have lives, everything like that. Right. But if you sacrifice in the short term, it will just pay off massively because then you have a system that can grow without you even having to touch it. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors, and together we partner on all of my deals. If you enjoy the podcast, give me a rating. Also, a review would be very, very much appreciated. And don't forget to like and follow me on social media. I'm pretty much you know, active on all of them, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. So you can find all my social media links and the show notes on my website, ellieperlman.com. Now, before we start the show today, I wanted to personally invite you to two of the events that I'm going to be speaking at. The first one is called Multifamily Investor Summit, and that's a pretty cool three-day online conference that's going to happen June 27th until June 29th, and it's a great place for you not only to gain knowledge about real estate investing, but also to meet and network with other passive investors and with syndicators. So if you're going to use the promo code ELLIE, which is E-L-L-I-E, you can get $100 off of the full access pass. You can find tickets at www.multifamilyinvestornation.com. Now, the second one is an event hosted by my good friend Adam Adams called Raising Money Summit. So that's going to happen in Denver on October 3rd until October 5th. And if you use the promo code Ellie again, you can get 30% off until the end of June. And then it goes down to 25% in July. So what I love about this one is that it's going to teach you everything you need to know about raising capital. So as a syndicator and an investor, you can learn the real secrets behind raising millions of dollars from investors and syndicators that actually did it. You're going to you know, have takeaways from tactical strategies so you can go out and close more deals in less time. You're also going to discover the proven methods professionals use to create win-win deals and partnerships, and you'll be able to stop worrying about how you are going to fund your next real estate deal. So don't miss this premium conference. It can definitely be a game changer for you and help you to dominate any niche of real estate. So if you, again, want to use the promo code Ellie, you can get 30% off this month, the month of June. You can get tickets at www.raisinmoneysummit.com. All right. So I think by now we're ready to start the show. Our guest today is AJ Osborne. AJ is a real estate investor and self-described freedom fighter who has built up 100 million portfolio in real estate. 
So it wasn't until AJ became paralyzed from head to toe and placed on life support that he realized how important cash flow and assets were for him and his family. So AJ speaks about how buying cash flow, producing assets literally saved him and his family's life. I can't wait to hear this great story and, you know, kind of understand what's going on in someone's mind when they are paralyzed and how is real estate even relevant. So AJ's not only going to talk to us about that, but he's also going to talk about a very, very interesting subject and a very close subject to my heart, which is building scalable processes to compound people's time and money. So without further ado, I would like to welcome AJ to the show. Hey, AJ, how are you? Good. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, the listeners kind of got a little bit of a background about what you do. And obviously you're in real estate and and you have about 100 million worth of real estate. But I want to kind of start a little bit early um, and hear about your injury and what happened. So if you can take us kind of back in time. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us where you are and what you're doing and, and what happened. I haven't been in the real estate world for too long, but I was originally a real estate broker. So I had clients and they paid me commissions and that's how I made a living. And I loved it. Everything was going great. And I decided a while back though, that I learned I was a little bit on this treadmill and uh, I'm it was just hard. If I lost a client, I always had to get another client. And I was always trying to make sure that my income stayed at a certain level. And if I wanted to grow it, I had to work that much harder. And so I started investing in real estate and thought, oh, this will end up paying off well. Well, a few years after after we'd started it, it ended up paying off really big. The reason being is I'm a relatively young guy. I'm 34. I have four kids. And we had actually just had our fourth kid three months prior. And we were down in California. We were at the PGA tour having a great time. And I started not feeling so hot. And uh, my wife's like, well, just call the doc, right? And we'll get some medicine or whatnot. So we didn't even think anything of it. And by the time we were home, my legs were really hurting me. And I started just getting really sick. And so we went to the hospital and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but you know, something's, something's up. And they tested me out. I mean, they're like, no, you're totally fine. hundred percent sent me home. And so we went home and I just got in the bathtub to soak my legs and I went to get out and I couldn't move my legs. And uh, so my wife drugged me out of the tub and I was paralyzed and took me into the car, rushed me to the hospital where they argued for a long time. They couldn't figure out what was going on, what was wrong with me, why all of a sudden my legs stopped working. Mm. And the paralysis was actually getting worse as they kept talking about it. And finally, they thought they figured out what I may have. They rushed me to another hospital. And shortly thereafter, I lost even the, my ability to breathe. And they put me under, they kind of rushed, everybody rushed into the room. They took me away. They actually ended up putting me in a coma. And when I woke up, I was paralyzed from the eyes down. And um, I was even partially paralyzed in my eyes and I could no longer breathe. I was hooked to tubes and to breathe and feeding tubes. And I was yeah, quadriplegic. And what, what do you think? What, what's going on in your mind when you open your eyes and realize that you're paralyzed? I knew the situation was happening, but I guess you always assume that when you're in the hospital that, oh, they're just going to take care of it. And it was strange 
first of all, then not ever being able to give us an answer as in, well, everything says you're fine, except for the fact you can't walk. But it, that, was, that was obviously scary. But I still thought, oh, once they figure it out, they'll give me a quick shot or something and I'll be normal again. Right. That's how it works. And very uh, optimistic, I would say. Yes. And I guess you have to. <laughs> and so we just kept going. And then it obviously shortly realized this is going to be bad. And it, it quickly became apparent as I, I found out I would no longer probably be able to breathe that this might not end up not only so well, but not last very long. It was probably going to be over pretty quick. So when I woke up, it was and I really started to understand better where I was. It was it, it was strange because I was in a new world where I couldn't move my body and I was looking at a wall and I could uh, um, it was terrifying for my body because it was hard to recognize where I was and so my body would make a lot of my mind would make a lot of assumptions of where I was lying so people would have to come up and they'd have to get close to me and they'd have to tell me where I was at and what was happening because you lose most of your senses when you're paralyzed so my body couldn't even tell that it was sitting on the ground. I couldn't tell that I was not moving, for example. And so I would kind of come in and out of consciousness and I was in incredible amounts of pain. It was unworldly amounts of pain that they couldn't stop because my nervous system had been eaten apart by my white blood cells. And so what that's happened, what happened. That's what happened. My white blood cells attacked my nervous system. How does it, ha- how does it start? How does it happen all of a sudden? So it's something called Guillain-Barre. And I'd never heard of this until... I was sitting paralyzed in a wheelchair and they said, we think we know what you have. We think it's something called Guillain-Barre. And Guillain-Barre happens when you get an infection and it happens to one in a million or two million people, something like that. And it just, your white blood cells attack the infection or the virus mm-hmm. and they don't stop. And so they all of a sudden, for some reason, registered my nervous system as a threat to the body and they attacked it, which made it so my brain could no longer communicate with my body and left my body useless. Wow. And uh, it was severe, obviously, and my body shut down. And from there, the bad part about this was there was no answers. So I was paralyzed. They sent me to a long-term care facility. I left the hospital and they sent me somewhere where they could keep me on tubes and keep me alive. And then it was just, let's wait and see. There was no medicine they could give me that would make me get better. It was your body has to heal itself. And from there, we'll see if you walk, we'll see if you, you know, recover. And uh, that was hard trying to come back. And I slowly gained my head. I was not able to speak for over 10 weeks. We actually didn't even bring my children in to see me for probably about a month because we were afraid it would scar them seeing mm-hmm. me hooked up to tubes and things like that. But eventually we had to bring them in because you know, we couldn't kids had to know where their dad was and they had to go through that and we uh it took months i'm still obviously not all the way back and it's been uh, over a year and a half almost two years and so it's you know i was one of the fastest recovering ones that they had in the hospital most in my case were are not nearly as fortunate that are paralyzed and hooked to tubes for so long they usually don't come back as strong so i'm beyond fortunate and blessed and you know, couldn't be more happy with my recovery. And I had a lot of things going with me, I think, that helped me through the recovery. I had a great support team between my my family and my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had just unconditional love from people that poured out. And our situation 
financially was good. We I'd spent years charting to invest in real estate, things like that. And my wife, she didn't have to worry about how we were going to pay our mortgage. She didn't have to worry about putting food on the table. And she didn't have to worry about going and getting a job and having to leave me paralyzed in a bed. And because it was clear, obviously, I, I was not returning to work. It, it was clear that mm. my current position running with my brokerage and clients stuff, that, that was gone. And I actually went on disability and disability terminates your employer-employee relationship. That's how disability insurance works. And so within, I was still in a hospital when I was no longer even had a job anymore. So when you said that your wife didn't have to worry because you, prior to your infection, you actually invested in real estate. Can you elaborate on what exactly, what type of assets did you uh, own back then that actually took care of you and your family when you couldn't provide anymore? Well, I had been in the insurance world for so long. I was used to running out, making sales, you know, getting clients. And I understood the benefit of residual income, but we still never owned our revenue streams. So that revenue was produced by a client who could fire me at any time. And they do clients fired. me, And uh, so it was still a treadmill. And I knew that we wanted to be in something that was passive, but I also needed something that I could grow. And the, the reason being is I needed to be able to set up as I like to talk about a scalable system mm-hmm. to where I can achieve and keep growing and everything like that. I just replacing my income, although that's great. And that's one step in the ladder that we all need to achieve. The first time you get a recession or something bad happens, that income contracts and what are you going to do? So I knew that we needed to set up a system that could grow off of it. And for us, we had owned a small self storage facility and we knew that there was the potential of buying bigger self storage facilities that were really underperforming and we could turn them around. And that was a lot harder to do in other asset classes. And although it's not as, a, as passive for us, we could walk in and we could do a value add system to that real estate asset class that would generate much higher cash flows and much yield much higher returns for us that we could then take that capital, redeploy and do it over again. And when we say we, you mean you and your wife or you and your partners? It was actually me and my partner, who was my father, and then later my brother-in-law, who also joined us and became partners. So it was us three. And now we have a management company. We have 11 storage facilities across four different states, Oregon, Idaho, Washington, Nevada. So yeah, we've been growing. And that was the great thing, though, about investing, no matter how you look at it, whether it's housing, whether it's commercial or not, it it allows you to compound your returns. And that is something that is lacking for everybody that either earns a W-2 or commissions like we did. You just couldn't compound your returns. It's still connected to your time. And there was a limit to what we could ever do and what we could ever achieve. And the downside was huge. But investing in passive real estate assets, you can create processes and systems where you can duplicate those returns. So it adds to a layering effect that allows you to grow and grow and grow. All meanwhile, simply magnifying the returns on your time. So that we set up that business, that was the whole idea of it. We wanted to be able to grow our income and to build something bigger than us. And two, we wanted to take a month off or you wanted to lie in bed paralyzed, you could. I chose the latter. 
Unfortunately, well, unfortunately, not not from from choice, um, no. not out of choice. So, when you're you're talking about scalable business and scalable processes, what's your definition of a scalable business? So, for me, there's a lot of confusion about this, and there's confusion. I realize because I have this right. I mm-hmm. I was on commissions and. I thought I'm like my own boss, right? I do my own thing. I do my own time. But actually, it wasn't at all. All my clients were my bosses. I just had a lot of bosses and my income came in through them and that could be taken away at any time. So in order for me to to have a scalable business, you need to have a business that pays obviously all its expenses, right? But it also needs to pay you. Then it needs to generate a profit outside of that because you need capital that you can take out and you can allocate back into your model. If there is no extra capital to allocate back into your model, so if you take all the profits to pay for yourself, well, that's not a scalable business. So if you buy, if you're looking to, let's say, buy a franchise, you need to look to make sure the franchise can not only be profitable, but it has to be able to be profitable while paying you. So if you include, I need $50,000 to live, and then there's no profit, then that's not a scalable business model. So you need to be able to pay yourself all the expenses, generate a profit that you can then take that capital and put back into the business at, at, as I think of it, a known rate of return. So let's say once again, a franchise, you know, if I buy another franchise, it will do the same as this franchise. Well, now I can repeat that and repeat that. That's scalable. That's a scalable business model that can be repeated. If it's a one-shot thing or if it's connected to your time or if you're getting paid, but it's just enough to live, right? And there's no way to grow that, whatever that aspect is you're doing it, you can never scale it. And two, it has to be able to be repeated the same as the first. And that's important because as you grow, you have to start hiring people to do certain jobs and certain levels. So we have a management company. That management company takes care of our physical assets. It takes care of our employees. It takes care of the financing and everything else like that. So every time that we add a new facility, a new asset on, it's just plugged into the system. All our processes and systems go into it. It turns that asset around and it can turn around quickly and generate that same return. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can underwrite assets or businesses release because I can go and say, this is what I'm currently doing right now. I know what I'm doing. I can see what you're doing. If I take my model and put it on yours, this will be the return. So it's, I can invest in confidence. I can buy in confidence because it's like being able to predict the future, right? Now, when we got started, we couldn't do that. We had to build it out. We had to figure it out. We had to tinker. We had to play. You know, you have to spend the money. You have to spend the time. But we knew that that model could produce those results. What percentage of the income do you reallocate and reinvest it back in the company? So for us, we reinvest obviously a very large portion of the income because we also have our management company. When we look at the capital that was coming in, this and this is a hard, hard thing to do for most people because you know at some point when you start scaling, Let's use an easy franchise model. Let's say you have one, then you have two, and you can run both of them, right? You have some employees. Then you get three, you can run both of them, but now your times get spread thin. Then you have four, and now you're like, okay, if I want to grow anymore, I have to start hiring people to manage the ones that I'm buying. The problem is, though, you have to hire those people. When you hire them, that just takes income out of your pocket, right? Because you haven't scaled yet. So it is lots of times a cart before the horse thing, and we had to do that too. So for the first few years, 100% of our gain was going straight back into the company. Even though we could have been taking that profit, we could have been taking that profit and taking it home. Instead, what we did 
is we worked our other jobs. We ran our other businesses. So we worked twice as hard, even when we didn't need to. Well, that's because we wanted to develop a scalable business model that could grow without us. Lots of people, when they're investing, even if you're investing in real estate and you can pay and get enough out of your real estate to cover your income, don't. Use that money. Put it back in your system, right? Keep building out. You keep working hard. I know it's tough. I know running two, three jobs, it's, it's hard. We have kids, we have lives, everything like that. Right. But if you sacrifice in the short term, it will just pay off massively because then you'll have a system that can grow without you even having to touch it. And essentially, that's what happened. When, when I got out of the hospital, right? And it too, a lot of people, I did have my, my business partners, but they all start to remember those business partners with my family. I was lying paralyzed in the bed, staring at my dad. And he was in there, you know, with my mom and my wife and everything else like that. So it was really, that was just a horrible thing for our business. We had our managers of our company and our employees that they took everything off. They just had to, they had to run the company. And you took three of the essential owners and the people that were running the company out of it. And it was a test to see if we could make it. And it did. When I got out, we made more money, we were more profitable, and we'd expanded even more. And so that allows me now to allocate, so that now the owners, we can allocate resources on the appropriate things, not the day-to-day things. If you're bogged down in the day-to-day things, you don't have a scalable business model, right? That's right. You need to work on the business, not in it. And getting to that point is hard. But once you do, and it can be hard for multiple reasons. It can be hard to let go. Right? That's probably oh, yes. that, that, that's but right. <laughs> so that, that can be hard. And it can be hard to get to a point. But if you don't, you you'll never grow. You have to get the right people in to take certain jobs, take certain roles in your organization. And then you have to work on your business, finding deals, right? Out there networking, um, right. building systems and processes and figuring out the next move to make. Yeah, this is music to my ears. I mean, that's exactly, you know, what I'm experiencing. And also that's my my education about how you basically work on the business, not in the business. So, and and I think the test, the ultimate test is that if you're, if you remove yourself, at least temporary, you know, temporarily from the business, can it still operate? Can it, can things or everything just stops and nobody's doing anything, everything is paralyzed because, you're not there. So, and that's actually the test. And this is how you build scalable, you know, sustainable businesses. Now you mentioned earlier that, you know, you build scalable processes. How do you start thinking and designing those processes? It's kind of funny. When I, when I got started, um, one of the first people we hired was a guy that worked at franchises, right? And he, own, he didn't own, he ran a bunch of, there were jack-in-the-boxes. And so he was running three Jack in the Boxes whatnot. And so we hired him on and I said, hey, come in. I want you to figure out and help me do this. And we went and put huge like post-it notes, like these massive post notes all over the walls of our offices. And we started writing policies and procedures, what to do if X happens, what to do if X happens. So we took everything, all the decisions that we would have to make in certain situations and we standardized the decision-making process, which became a policies and procedure manual, right? And that was the first thing that we went about. Now, when, I, when we hired him on, we were still buying properties. I mean, that we were paying him out of our pocket. And then the next hire that we brought on was a gal by the name Heather, and she came on. And then we handed her all the stuff that we wanted. So we said, now you make sure these things happen, 
And then we hi- and we standardized my brother-in-law, who is our CFO. He came. He created standardization for the finances. This is how you buy. This is how we handle rates. This is when we can give rate discounts. This is when you can't because we needed it to be automated to a certain extent. The decision-making process within our storage facilities has to be, for the most part, this is how you operate. We just don't go out the, outside of these lines. And two, to some of our customers, they said, this is really rigid. Like, won't you make an exception for me? And the problem is, is like, if it was one for you, it would be for thousands of people that we have coming through our businesses every day. So if we, if you start making exceptions for every single little person, what you're really doing is you're increasing the amount of decisions that everyone in your organization has to make in a day. You cannot scale like that. You have to reduce, reduce the amount of decisions that you have to make in a day. You have to make it standardized, pass people through. And then that way you can go on to solve bigger problems and you can go on to grow. So the more that we standardized our decision-making and our finance processes and procedures, and then we hired individuals. So at first, that was us implementing them. We did all the training. We brought the managers trained stuff. After we surpassed five facilities, then it became that was the managers that now make sure that they're adhering to our business model and the way that we do business, our look and feel. And every year it got better. Because every year we find out another problem and guess what happens when it's a problem we can't solve or we didn't know. And then we figured out how to uh, solve it. We'd immediately say, oh, there's a new policy. There's a new procedure. And over time, we now have this Bible of policies and procedures manuals that are, have video written. They have all sorts of content. So when managers have a problem, they open it up. Here's the answer to your problem. That takes care of 90% of everything in our business today. So we don't have to worry about it. We don't even have to think about it. And that allows us to, once again, work on the business. If not, we'd have a million things at every single location every day that we'd have to be in. And you, you, can't, you can't grow that way. You so, get bogged so, down in your business. Yeah, absolutely. So today, you and your company, you basically own about $100 million worth of real estate. Where do you think you were today if you didn't build those, you know, scalable processes, if you basically went with your dad and say, Hey dad, let's, let's buy self-storage, you know, facilities, let's just do it ourselves. Where do you think you would be today? Well, um, I can tell you where it is because our, our capital would have ran out fairly quickly and we wouldn't have been able to buy anything else. So, you know, we would maybe a couple few facilities because what we did is our policies and procedures and the way that they came, they turned into a way that we would turn around these assets. So we would go in, here's all the things that we have to do to get this facility to a point where we want it. And we'd go in, almost always we had to fire the employees because they were operating at a level and most of them just didn't either want to or couldn't. We had to bring in new people where we trained from scratch. And we said, here's the new standard. You'd lift the whole facility up as those gains improved, the value in the assets would improve, the cash flows would improve. Well, then we're like, okay, well now we got to go out and use this cash flow to buy more. So, I mean, we'd probably be at two or three, which were at officially 12 today. And that includes, you know, we spent six months trying, we bought a bankrupt super Kmart, turned that into a big massive storage facility that's completely automated, new technologies that we all had to learn. I could have never even remotely, we couldn't even approach that because we would have been, we would have never had the time or resources to allocate. And that was one of our better deals we've ever done. So the opportunity cost of not creating a scalable process that your business can follow, it's huge. In fact, I guess you could say it's infinite because you yeah. want a process and you want a company that can grow without you and mm-hmm. forever. I hope that my kids will be someday in, you know, the business with me and they're going to be doing the same things, working on the business. I'll 
policies and procedures that we've created. That sounds amazing. You basically, so you said that you had 12 facilities right now. So that's about, you know, 400% because yeah. from what you could have been, because you actually implemented, you know, processes. And, and I guess it's a little bit scary for some people who, who start you know, investing in real estate, maybe they own a bunch of properties or a bunch of single family homes. And they see, you know, they want to invest the money and hire people, but they're afraid to invest the money because they don't want to lose it. So yeah. they, they try and play it safe and just let time pass and they want to grow over time, grow organically. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say you have to force yourself to. And one of the ways that we forced ourselves to, you know, looking back on it. So I live in Boise, Idaho. Well, we actually didn't at first buy any assets at all here. They were mostly in Oregon and Washington and Northern Idaho. Well, that forced us to create systems that these people had to run because we weren't there. I couldn't go down there and do it day to day. Now, once we started buying assets around us and more of the local region, we actually micromanaged those a little too much and we had to walk away. And the ones that we micromanaged, they do not outperform the ones that don't. So what that tells me is that when I micromanage, all I'm doing is wasting my time and my employees' time. I just need to walk away. I need They know what to do. We have rules, system in place. And if you're in your business every day, you are tripping yourself up. You are your biggest obstacle to your success. And I believe that massively because if you want to have a million plus square feet in real estate, 12 locations across four states, if you want to do that, you can't be everywhere at once. And you would, I mean, the company would just collapse. It, it would never cease to work. So you got to get out of your own way. You got to get the right people in. You got to sacrifice the money today to make more later. You got to trust people. And then you got to focus on growing your business, getting new deals in, making new partnerships, cultivating opportunities that your company can capitalize. Because if you're not doing it, trust me, that's not what employees do. Employees aren't out there and cultivating opportunities. Mm -hmm. They're managing right. your business. That's why you're paying them. And that's mm -hmm. good. That's what they should be doing. Your job is to create business opportunities. Get out there, cultivate opportunities, find the deals, and create an execution plan and strategy. Go back to your team, say, everybody, guess what? We're growing. Here's what we're gonna do. They can walk in then, after you get the deal done, after you grow it, hand it to them, walk away and do it again. Great. That's great advice, AJ. Thank you so much for sharing your story and also, you know, your thoughts and experience about building a scalable business and creating processes so you can actually grow. All right. So AJ, are you teaching anybody, you know, the, the wisdom that you've gained over the years? You know, I do. And that was one of the reasons that I started up Cashflow to Freedom. Actually, I was lying in the hospital and it was Christmas. I was going to see my kids. The hospital was going to let me go see my kids on Christmas mm -hmm. Day. They were giving me like four hours, right? And so I was so excited. I was thinking, wow, I'm so lucky. I get to go see my kids. They get to have presents. I get to go into my home. And I thought, I'm like, I'm not worried about the future. I'm not worried about anything like that. And I just was overcome with like, wow, I'm so grateful. And I started up Cashflow with Freedom. I'm like, I'm going to tr try to put as much on financial advice and becoming financial freedom on there. So there's a whole section that I'm building out on self-storage. And I'm trying to put as much content on there as I can. I think we're going to add on a course where if you want to know deep into how to do everything, how to manage all that on there, but there's just tons of free materials, video. We try to update our subscribers with as much financial advice, know-how and everything that, that we can. And we're trying to build it out really to help people out and kind of show them what we've learned over the years. And hopefully they can avoid some of the mistakes that we've made. 
So AJ, where can people find you? I have a site, cashflow to freedom, the number two to freedom.com. You can go on there. My email's there. You can go AJ Osborne, Instagram, cashflow to freedom, Instagram, Facebook, I think too. Go on there. You can find me, email me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Easy to get, get in touch and contact. I love your website, by the way. I can see your beautiful family there. I just love it. Thank you so much, AJ. I really appreciate your time and really, really appreciate your insights. I thought they were great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.